for your information is brought to you by the New York Transport Authority. Always on time to being late. Ladies and gentlemen, live from coast to coast, we proudly present For Your Information with Zach and John. Can you dig it? Welcome to For Your Information, a podcast about good movies, better cocktails, and best friends. We're your hosts, Zach. And I am John. Uh, Another cult film, another week down, uh, another few brain cells lost, but I kind of like losing brain cells to a movie like this. You you feel like you lost brain cells to this movie. Uh, Let's get right into it. Uh, This week we're going to be covering the 1979 film The Warriors, and uh, apparently John lost some brain cells. What's going on with that? I just... it. It's a good movie, I'm gonna say, but it it has a certain flavor to it. It's almost like, um, how do I put this? It's like that smell of gasoline. Like, some people really like the smell of gasoline. It's just, I don't know, maybe it's comforting. Maybe they just have a certain gene that allows them to love that scent. You're still losing brain cells. Right. So, so much like the gasoline and heroin-soaked streets of Brooklyn and the Bronx in the late 60s, early 70s, uh, you feel like you got the same uh, aesthetic and feeling in the film? I would say so, yeah. Um, I-, I think there was a period of time where New York might have actually been a little bit like this. Um, I-, I think it's this movie is a little bit dramatized. It's, well, not a little bit. I mean, it's highly it, yeah. stylized. It's a dystopia. It, it is almost a dystopia, but I, I kind of like the world that it builds. Like, it feels like a fleshed out world to me. I could agree. Like, it, it feels like those people could be real. And, and I really do think that has to do with the fact that a lot of these actors are um, were, at the time, unknowns. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it kind of is... It's almost like you're watching a documentary, almost. Exactly. And that's, and that's kind of the way they shot it. But I, I just really do like this movie. Um, it's got some problems. It's got some aging issues. But, I mean, what movie pre like 2010 doesn't yeah i guess you could say that's a risk you take with a movie like this right right i mean but i mean they didn't know it was a risk then yeah that's true it's, that's true it's just uh you know it's just a sign of the times it's a sign of what happens to movies as they age like i mean people thought differently back then and so now it's the way it is now i don't know where i'm going with that anyway so i can't really tell did you like the movie or not I thought the movie was pretty good. It's not a movie I want to watch every weekend, but it's a movie that I want to have seen. Okay, that's fair. So it wasn't your favorite movie you've ever seen ever, but it wasn't like a, like a, oh my god, how have I never seen this before? Exactly. I'm surprised I haven't seen it before. This is definitely in the vein of films that I have watched on my own time, uh, and I- I've been meaning to watch this for a while. I just never got around to it. I-, I guess I'm just rolling into your next question that you always ask me, am I not? Oh, yeah, and that that's where it's just like, you know, how have you not seen this? Uh, th- this one is almost forgivable because it's not like a movie that they play on TV every weekend or something like that. Mm-hmm. It, and it's, I mean, this is a love it or hate it kind of movie, much like all cult films are. It, it's either you are all about it or you're indifferent. 
Okay, I see that. And I, I guess I would have to say I fit more in the love this movie category. I mean, like, I think I saw this for the first time when I was maybe, like, 13 or 14 years old. Mm-hmm. And I've watched it, like, I wouldn't say I've watched it a hundred times, but I've probably watched it at least, like, 10, 11 times. You've seen since... this movie 11 times? Probably. I mean, like, it's it's a, it's a good background movie, like, because, I don't know, like, it just... Like I said, I love the world that this movie builds. It definitely does a job with the world. It definitely gets that done. And I like all the, like, stupid-ass costumes that they wear. Well, not stupid, but, you know, like... Flamboyant. You could call them flamboyant. Yeah, like the... It's just how creepy some of it is. Like, I think my favorite is, like, the baseball gang. Oh, yeah, uh, led by Marilyn Manson himself. It's just, it's just so nuts. Like, it's so off the fucking wall. And that, I think that's just the legacy of this movie. It's, it's off the wall. The language, like the, the dialogue. It's just so like, ugh. Like, I don't want to say stilted, but it's like, it's just like people don't talk like that. So it's like this movie exists in its own like little alternative reality that's like kind of close aesthetically to like what. New York City in like 1979 would have been but maybe just a little bit skewed. I think that an apt comparison would be like the Warriors is to the late 70s early 80s New York gang scene as the live action Scooby Doo movie is to like the 2002 Spring Breakers scene. I <laughs> I I don't like this comparison but I agree with it. Right? Like does it feel like that? Yeah, a little bit. Do people talk like that? Kinda, I guess. There you go. It's a it's a rough approximation done for artistic purposes. <laughs> Correct. Oh, so in order to get through movies like this and to talk about, you know, how these movies got made, we like to have a little bit of a drink. We like to have a little bit of a an alcoholic fuel to our podcast. And for that, we always turn to John, who brings us a new cocktail. So, John, what'd you cook up this week? You know... I'm proud of this one. It's another spin on an old classic, and I think that anybody who is into that type of thing is going to like this. This is the Coney Island Iced Tea. So, as you can probably guess from the title, it's a spin on the Long Island Iced Tea. The gang's from uh, Coney Island. I've never been to Coney Island, but I imagine that it's kind of like the Florida of New York City. (laughs) Um, no, it's just kind of like a, uh... This is where the like the hot dog wars happen. Hot dog wars? Yeah, cuz like there's two like hot dog places like Nathan's and something else. Mm-hmm. And they're always like fighting over who has the best hot dogs and they're all from Coney Island and they have a Coney Island dog and like that's that's it. They have like a wharf. They call it the wharf and it's like a uh, like a little amusement park on like a dock. Okay, okay. Above the ocean. Like, that's that's where that Ferris wheel in the beginning of the movie is. Right, it's kind of like the uh, Santa Monica Pier near Los Angeles, except you might actually be able to see it from a quarter mile away. Exactly. Yeah, that's disgusting. Like, you know, you're just chilling out on the dock, you're, uh, you're sick because of the cotton candy, but you're a piece of shit, so you want some alcohol, you go look for something like this to drink, and you drink it in, it's hot on the outside, and the drink's cold on the inside, and that dude's taking a shit in a trash can over there, and there's, like, a clown that's, like, sweating through the grease paint somehow over there. Like, it's, it's a vibe. It's a whole vibe. I think you just did a better job of describing, like, the Jersey Shore than Coney Island, but sure, go off, King. 
Okay, cool. <laughs> okay. So here's how you would make this cocktail. Um, forewarning. This is a recipe that makes two drinks because, just like in the movie, you can't just go off alone. That's not how this works. You can't just be in Coney Island alone. You're gonna get hit. So, uh, this makes two. So don't, don't get crazy. Um, you're gonna take one and a half ounces of pineapple juice, one ounce of lime juice, a half ounce of lemon juice, one ounce of vodka, one ounce of gold rum, a half ounce of black strap rum, a dash of 151 proof rum, and top it with cola after you shake the ingredients with ice, strain them into a, uh, like a pint glass full of ice, something bigger, and then you're gonna top it with the cola. Just like you would make a Long Island iced tea. But you're gonna do it with these ingredients instead. It's a little bit more rum forward. Uh, you can kind of taste a little bit of the pineapple, but it's nice and round when you add the cola to it. Okay, so this is almost like a like a pina colada and a Long Island had a baby. I would say it's more like a zombie and a Long Island had a baby. Oh, okay, fair enough. Um, so, <laughs> what what made you think that those two would go well together? Um, at first. I didn't, and then <laughs> I started mixing some stuff together. I had some pineapple juice handy because I had just uh, done something with some canned pineapple. So I was like, okay, cool, pineapple juice. Juice, quote-unquote. It's more of like a syrup, but we don't need to get into that right now. Um, and so I had some of that, and I was like, I'm going to use this in the drink. I like using pineapple juice in drinks. I had some limes that I had just juiced, so I was like, okay, I'm going to use that too. Well, this is already starting to sound like a tiki drink, so let's kind of go down that road a little bit. And normally, if you're using like a tiki-type recipe, you're going to use mostly rums. Uh, in this particular mm. case, I... Um, ooh, you know what I actually left off the recipe list is the triple sec there's a half ounce of triple sec in there too see this is why you go over it in your head right this is why you do this because in a tiki drink it's common to find triple secs and cointreaux as well so there is a half ounce of triple sec in there uh just go off that not off what i just said um <laughs> to, but, do as i say not as i do exactly or rather do as i do not as i say because what i say is wrong but what i meant was this fair enough there you go yeah so I was putting in rum, I was putting in pineapple juice, I was putting in triple sec, like, this sounds like a tiki drink, but you know what's cool? Coca-Cola. <laughs> you know what's American? Coney Island. You know what's American? Coca-Cola. Hmm, you see where I'm going with this? <laughs> and then Coney Island and Long Island can now have something else to fight over. Yeah, perfect. Which one's better? I don't know. Uh, you tell me which one's better. Uh, you tell me how easy it is to leave the triple sec out when you've made like 14 of these and you're stumbling around your kitchen. <laughs> you wouldn't stumble. You'd probably be dead. Don't drink 14 of these. I mean, you can't tell me what to do. And if I want to have 14 and my alcohol like tolerance level is higher than yours, I'll do that. All right. I hope you <laughs> like having your blood filtered. I don't like anything. If you can't tell by this podcast. Right. Alrighty. Speaking of things I don't like, we're gonna bring in our good friend Frank Synopsis to give you a little bit of a synopsis of this movie if you've never seen it. Uh, so, welcome to the show, Frank. Hey, it's me, your friend of the show. Uh, can I use that term? Am I allowed to do that? Am I allowed to say that? We pay you, so if that is what you want your official title to be, that's what we will do. Um, we've currently been paying you under the table, but now that we have some uh, sponsors going, we can actually put you on payroll, Frank. So, oh, that's all right. wonderful. Welcome, Here, what sponsors uh, do you guys have? Uh, the New York Transport Authority, um, having gum stuck to the bottom of your shoe and not knowing about it until you get it on your carpet. Uh, those guys gave us a lot of money. Um, we are also 
sponsored by rats just rats <laughs> wow that's fascinating i too am sponsored by rats fun fact I, I think they actually came to us from you we got rats from frank i wish i had known and gotten a cut <clears throat> you will you will you're now getting a uh, 550 per episode Ooh, I'm bus fare rich for the third time in two weeks. I know, we're trying to help you out, buddy. We're trying to help you out. Moving on up in the world. So, Frank, uh, this week we're doing the Warriors, which kind of takes place in your neck of the woods. Oh, it absolutely does. And you know what? I did something for you guys. I'm trying to give you a little bit more bang for your buck now that there's a little bit more buck in the game. Ooh. Yeah, I did a little bit of uh, investigative reporting. I am actually fresh off the plane from Coney Island. Oh, awesome. So, uh... Had you visited Coney Island in the 70s when this took place? Oh, of course, but that's a different Coney Island. See, this Coney Island is actually in Africa. Uh, okay. Yes. Um, so what what did you find in Coney Island in Africa? Well, I was looking for the infamous Coney. He is the biggest gang leader that I know of and thought I'd give him an interview to see what it was like. And, uh, oh God. he is not an easy man to find. Um, no, I, they made... A whole series of documentaries about that that turned out to be shams. Uh, did you find him? Well, uh, I kind of had to find my own way through the airport. Uh, it's difficult to buy a ticket to Coney Island. Uh, they don't really know what you mean when you ask for a ticket to Coney Island. So I, uh, I hitched a board a plane to Uganda. Oh, okay. Is that near Coney Island? As far as I'm concerned, it is Coney Island. Oh, okay. And uh, what what did you do when you got to Uganda? I did not find Coney. Okay, so did you do anything in Uganda? No, not really. Okay, so what 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 is your investigative journalism about? Well, my investigative journalism was uh, Uganda is not Coney Island, and I am back here. Frank, just tell me about the fucking warriors, please. <laughs> All right, here we go. All the gangs of New York are called to a rally of peace by Cyrus. All seems to be going well until Cyrus gets clapped by the rogues, an antagonistic gang from Hell's Kitchen. They pin the assassination on the Warriors, our protagonists from Coney Island. The Warriors now have to bop their way back to Coney Island before one of the 60,000 gang members in New York City wastes them. Oh, thank you very much, Frank. Uh, I guess you had enough time on a plane trip to and from Uganda to put together that synopsis, and we appreciate it. Uh, You know what? That's absolutely right. There is not much to do when you're a clinging. To the landing gear for dear life. I almost froze to death five different times. Jesus Christ. I I don't think there's enough air up there to support you, but then again, what do I know? You're 175 years old. That is... You have to know something that I don't. Uh, So thank you, Frank. Uh, You can collect your money out there. Uh, Our producer is in a hazmat suit ready to uh, hand it to you. All right. I'll see you later. All right. See you, Frank. Jesus fucking Christ. Why did why do we keep giving him raises? I John, John, get back in here. Oh, yeah, no, I I'm here. Wait, did you say stop giving him raises? Yeah, I we keep giving him raises. I feel bad for the guy. Oh, uh, I, wait, we're paying him more money? I've been giving him the same amount of money. When you said that, I thought originally you said stop giving him raisins cuz that's what I've been paying him in. You were paying him in raisins. How was he getting on the bus then? Well, he no, I to... gave him the bus fare, but I gave him more compensation in the form of raisins. Uh, he's never brought this up to me. I guess we'll have to talk about this at the next earnings meeting. Alrighty. Wait, we have an earnings meeting? 
Yeah, you're left out of it. Um, we have earnings? John, I told you, we, all right, just like I was telling Frank, we are sponsored by rats. Ah, uh, that's true. I forget about that. Yeah, so it's coming in, guys. It's coming in. All right. So before we talk about, you know, how the Warriors was made, let's get a little bit of detail on it. So it was directed by Walter Hill, produced by Lawrence Gordon, screenplay by David Shaber and Walter Hill. It's based on a novel called The Warriors by Saul Yurik. Music by Barry D. Vor... How do you even say that? Music by Barry D. Vorzon. Vorzon. Cinematography by Andrew Laszlo. Um, It was edited by David Holden, Freeman uh, Davies Jr., Billy Werber, and Susan E. Morse. Distributed by Paramount Pictures and released on February 9th, 1979. It had a budget of somewhere in the ballpark of $4 million to $7 million dollars. And had a box office return of $22.5 million. Okay, so profitable movie. Uh, is this one of those things where they released it in February because they didn't want it to interfere with their, like, better chances at getting Oscars? Correct. It, or It's really just they put out their best stuff towards Oscar season and then, like, kind of to fill out the year. That That's why January, February, March, and, like, sometimes beginning of April are kind of stingy. I see. Yeah, and it's... I don't know. Like, I don't know if it was still that way back then. I know that's how it is now. I guess not too terribly much has changed between then and now as far as the Oscars are concerned. Well, no, no, no. I mean, the Oscars are always held sometime in, like, quarter one of a year. Mm-hmm. So I guess I guess these filler movies are kind of used to just like, you know, like, all right, let's keep people going to the movies. Uh, we'll put these kind of lower budget movies in here just to kind of, I don't know, just to keep things going. I really don't know why they do that. Like, why would you put out something you don't believe in? That's how I feel. Uh, maybe somebody else believed in them, but the guys up top don't. That's That's what it usually comes down to. Like, somebody gave somebody money and now we have to release it because we have to make that money back. But other than that, we don't fucking care about it. Makes sense to me. Makes sense. But then sometimes they come back with a vengeance, like this movie. Mmm. Alrighty. And like like I mentioned before, this movie has a bunch of... They casted a lot of unknowns for this movie. We'll talk about that. But just because they're unknowns doesn't mean that we can't give them a little mention here. So, uh, Michael Beck stars as Swan. James Remner as Ajax. Deborah Von Valkenberg as Mercy. Marcello Sanchez as Rembrandt, David Harris as Coxie, Co- Coxie, I think. Coxie, Coxie, Cold cheeses? I don't Cold know. Cheeses, I like it. Very French. <laughs> um, Tom McKettlewack as Cowboy, uh, Brian Tyler as Snow, Dorsey Wright as Cleon, uh, Terry Michos as Vermin. Thomas G. Waits as Fox, David Patrick Kelly as Luther, and Roger Hill as Cyrus. That's quite a list. It, it, it is a list. Those were all, but the last two, those were all the Warriors, and one of them, um, Luther is part of another gang, and Roger Hill is Cyrus. Uh, we, we already know who Cyrus is. He's the can you dig it guy. Yeah, he's kind of like the gang king. He is the kingpin of New York. Look at him. He's the king of New York. Uh, There's a lot of people who would fight him for that title, I think. Isn't that kind of the whole premise, though? It is the whole premise, and I like how you just 
flew by me making a Newsies reference and you didn't get angry. That's I have no idea what that is. So you, Oh, goody. I know it's a musical. That's it. Okay. Oh, I'll make you do it on the podcast at some point. We'll, we'll mm. do it. It'll be a John's Tired of... Or Zach's Tired of John's Shit week. I uh, love those kinds of weeks. <laughs> All right, so... Before you can understand fully how the Warriors came to be, we have to do a little bit of light reading. Uh, because the Warriors is based on a novel of the same name by Sol Yurik, published in 1965. Uh, the novel was in turn inspired by Anabis, which, it, which is written by the uh, philosopher Xenophon, and it was originally published in 370 BC. Oh, that's a, that's a ways back. So this is kind of like the... Uh the classics we're talking about here oh yeah i mean like so technically the warriors began its life at 370 bc an age old story a tale as old as time uh other disney songs uh dogs eating spaghetti in new york i guess where does that movie take place that movie takes just place in uh, new england somewhere it's not specifically new york city hmm I, I'm I if I had to venture a guess I'd say Connecticut maybe. Mm, lovely, <laughs> lovely, lovely Connecticut. I I want to go to Connecticut. Apparently it's beautiful in the summer. All right. Um, the novel has several differences to the movie. Uh, namely that the Warriors are not even called the fucking Warriors in the movie. Uh, the Warriors, quote unquote, refers to all of the gangs of New York City, not just the protagonist gang. And the protagonist gang in the Warriors novel are called the Coney Island Dominators. Okay, and the Coney Island Dominators being based on the real-life Coney Island gang called the Coney Island Doms, led by Madame Tormentor de Arachides, which translates roughly to the Tormentor of Peanuts. It's, it's not an exact translation, but they're, they're a gang of doms. Yeah, they're a gang of doms. Yes. Uh, Jesus Clever and j- blackjacks and handcuffs and uh, things with a lot of, like, spheres on them. <laughs> what, what is it with the spears? I've never understood, like, all the spikes and the spears. Like, what, what is that for aesthetics or are those used in practice? I think the spikes are maybe to limit the range of motion. So if you have a necklace of spikes, you can't just, like, put your arms up by your head or something i don't really know that's just a guess i think the spherical ones are for insertive reasons oh okay so like if you have like a little spear on your shoulder you can like use it as like a plug and you just like plug it into like someone's ass like with your shoulder like i guess this is like in a mass orgy situation your guesses are as good as mine i'm truly just spitballing here that's another practice practiced by madame tormentor de rachids the tormentor of peanuts on a serious note, do you think in the current, like, stay-at-home orders that, like, orgies are still allowed as long as it's less than ten people? I think that the orgy thing is experiencing a similar renaissance that alcohol did during Prohibition, and they have orgy speakeasies. I... <laughs> so, like, you just go knock on the door, it's like, password, and you say, butt plug, and they go, alright, kid, and then they yeah. just let you in, and you just, I guess... I'm guessing it's just a room full of naked people and someone just grabs you by the shirt and you're in. You know what? Innocent of you to assume that everyone is fully nude. Uh, uh, innocent? Oh, yeah, of course. Because, I mean, costumes, man. That's that's what it's all about. Oh, the costume. Is that part of it? I'm sure. I mean, this is an underground orgy gang that we're talking about. 
Okay, I guess it does have to be a little weird. I've seen eyes right. wide shut. Hey, if you want to know more about the underground New York sex speakeasy scene, talk to the Coney Island Doms. <laughs> they know everything about it. Anyway, um, so and in the book, only four of the Dominators make it back to Coney Island, whereas in the movie, only six of the Warriors make it back. So I guess the uh, the carnage in the book is a little bit more. Uh, spread out <laughs> that makes sense i guess it does i don't know anyway what does make sense to me is the pre-production all right all right so the film rights to the book were actually bought in 1969 by american international pictures uh american international pictures is a now defunct distribution studio uh mm -hmm. they were famous for the raven starring vincent price that was like one of their bigger movies from I think I think that's from like the late sixties. Yeah, I've been say. meaning to see that for a really long time. Oh yeah, anything Vincent Price is like fucking gold. Even if it's horrible, it's fucking gold. Yeah, like the Tingler. The Tingler. I've never heard of this. Yeah, so it's the idea. It's, I don't even think this was an idea before the movie came out. This was like a William Castle thing, you know, where he just put a bunch of mm -hmm. shit in the movie theater and just called it a funhouse experience. Basically, like you're supposed to scream. And that's what gets this parasite out of your body. But if you're not allowed to scream, then it grows on your spine and it busts out of your body or something and it attacks people. I don't know. It's like flying brains. It's very B-movie. I, I love it. <laughs> Honestly, as a con I love off-the-wall concepts that just, like, don't work. Yeah, this, this the is one of those. It's just not there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, uh, the rights were eventually bought by producer Lawrence Gordon, who commissioned a script by David Sharper. Um, Gordon bought the, brought the script to Walter Hill, who was interested in making the film. However, Gordon and Hill then began development on a Western film at Paramount, so they, uh, kind of put Warriors to the side for a bit. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, spaghetti Western, you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, like, late 70s, It's this is gonna be a very, like, a bonanza-type shit. Right, and of course, whenever you go to Coney Island and you run across the uh, the Coney Island Doms, that's also what they call one of their uh, gang moves that they do on people, is the spaghetti west. Is that just like where they they line their penises up in a row and like use it like a whip? Um, uh, no, no, I don't think that is what it is. I, I was thinking it's, it's got more to do with the meatballs. Oh, okay, so with the balls? I, I have no idea. I'm making this up. I'm riffing. You're riffing. We're I'm just riffing. riffing. We're riffing through the Warriors. All right, so they start working on this Western, but lo and behold, and luckily for the Warriors as a film, the funding for that Western fell through, and they immediately brought up the Warriors to Paramount, and they were like, sure, we like making stupid shit. And so that's, that is basically how this got started. That sounds about right. It's, it, I mean, it's the only way things like this could happen. The only thing that Hill asked of Paramount was that he wanted to make the film have comic book visuals, and Paramount said, okay, but then later on said, the budget won't allow for this, so you gotta figure it the fuck out. And he was right. like, Fine. Something that's been like more popular nowadays, I guess, is to have like mm -hmm. over the top graphic novel type visuals. Yeah, and he won't. We will get to this later because he does eventually get what he wants, but just not in the way that he wanted it right then. Mm hmm. You know, there's actually a really low budget way to make everything really comic book as well. Just make a comic book. Well, you could do that, or you could just have all the actors make that that face, the uh, hick. A hag, a hag, a hag. What is what is that? How do you pronounce that? What is I that face? 
where they're all um, just going. I think mm. you, I really hate that I know what you're talking about, and I think you're trying to find the word ahigo. Yeah, that's the one. And that's disgusting. <laughs> it makes everything look like a comic book, though. It 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 makes everything. It makes everything smell like Burger King, and then you start making, and you start playing Magic the Gathering and giving Belle Delphine money for her fucking urine. And anyway. bathwater. Oh no, the bathwater's not even where it's at anymore. Now it's the fucking urine. All right, I so I, I hate that I know this. How do you verify authenticity? You don't. You. It don't, could be that's the anyone's problem. urine. It could be a, a urine from an animal. It could just be water with some asparagus juice in it right listen and this is incredibly off topic but i there is there is something in the underground like pay for porn market thing that goes on that i really don't fucking like Mm -hmm. and that is like people buying other people's urine or possibly even buying like people's like used underwear that they oh, could have yeah. done any number of things in. Like, th- congrats, women. You have found a way to really fuck men over. Because now I'm embarrassed. You know what, though? Th- this is the free market economy at work. Right. And I don't discourage anyone from doing it. I just don't like it. <laughs> right. It's like, we don't like that people buy it. But we like people having the freedom to sell their own bathwater. And their own, uh, I don't know, ped egg trimmings. Whatever it is that they're going to do to make money on the side. You know, it's hard out here in the streets. Coronavirus. Uh, hashtag right. coronavirus. Um, we're going to get, like, blackmailed. We're going to get, like, blacklisted now because we said the word. <laughs> we said coronavirus? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you just get demonetized immediately now for saying coronavirus. Do you really? Uh, in some platforms, yes. Jesus Christ. Okay, well, I guess maybe because they're just tired of hearing about it. I don't know what's going on. I think it's to stop the spread of disinformation, but everyone just says the virus or the infection or the pandemic now. (laughs) Or the zombie apocalypse. Yeah, just wait till the coronavirus zombies pop up. Then we're going to have a real fun time. Oh, hell yeah. And then, you know, Cthulhu will come out of the fucking ground and Godzilla and they'll fight. I'm so ready. I This was the end of the world that I wanted. Dude, not the conversation that we need to have right now, but I'm 100% sure Cthulhu would smash the shit out of Godzilla. Dude, you know what? Pay-per-view. As soon as it happens, me and you are putting it up for pay-per-view. You know, there was also a King Kong versus Godzilla movie where they drastically changed the size of the monsters because if you left them at actual, like size per the canon godzilla would just smash king kong right and i think that i think they're gonna do a remake of that i don't know if that's still happening but they were at one point i go ahead man go ahead that's a, it's not my movie to make <laughs> go off king kong just yeah. go off <laughs> a hego king kong <laughs> not everything needs an ahigo face i i'm done with it get it away from me it's like I said, it smells like living in your mom's basement in Burger King. Anyway. <laughs> Get that shake em up fries. Hey, look, listen, I would eat at Burger King every fucking day if they brought shake em up fries back. Do you know how much I miss that? Dude, I honestly, though, if they did that, cancer just through the roof. There's no way that shit's good for you. <laughs> Dude, you know what I did? You know what I did? Like, I think this this had to have been, like, three years ago. What's that? Did you put I, fucking Easy Mac dust on your french fries? Yes, I did. <laughs> you fucking bastard. I hate you so much. Well, okay, so I was super fucking high, and I was like, okay. And I, I thought about the shake up fries, and I was like, dude, I want that again. And then it was just like, well, how'd they make that? 
okay, obviously it's just mac and cheese dust. And I went in, I went into my fucking cabinet and I had a box of Kraft mac and cheese. Uh-huh. And so I just took the dust from the Kraft mac and cheese, fried up a whole bunch of fries, and uh, ate them all in one sitting. And then when my roommate came home, he I guess he wanted to make mac and cheese, and he was like, where's the mac and cheese packing in this? And then I had to explain what I did. I'm glad somebody held you accountable before I am doing it here live on the podcast. <laughs> oh, dude, that was... <laughs> Not my proudest moment, but goddamn if it didn't taste the same. I, you've unleashed, you've opened the Pandora's box on the listeners, and now they're all going to do it, and now we're liable for it. We're not liable for shit. If you guys die from making shake em up fries in your house, that's fine by me. And by shake em up fries, I do not mean take the fryer and shake it up while you're cooking the fries. I, don't do that. I have to, you have to fucking lay it out for the people. You have to make sure that it's idiot proof. We are so far off from where we started this is we are off i haven't used the term off base in many many episodes we are off base (laughs) we we are officially like two states away from base so let's uh let's throw a cast back into this and get into casting i I tried (laughs) i tried i tried so hard please please just laugh at how horrible that transition was anyway casting Walter Hill wanted to make the film with all unknown actors to make it seem more realistic. Um, they also wanted to cast everyone directly from New York City, so they wanted to make sure that they didn't have that, uh, you know, obviously not New York accent problem. Right, right. Hill attended a screening of Israeli independent film The Mad Men for Paramount, who was watching the film to see star Sigouria Weaver because they wanted to cast her in Alien. However... The film also starred Michael Beck, and Hill pursued him for the role of Swan after the screening, and he was like, yeah, I have fucking nothing else going on. Let's do it. Nice. Very nice. I didn't realize that he had done movies like this before, and I definitely didn't think he'd been on stage, on stage, on screen with Sigourney Weaver. Well, Sigourney Weaver was not a big star at this time either. She actually wasn't a big star until after Alien. I guess that's true. So she got to make Alien and have a career, and he is Michael Beck. Nice. (laughs) Uh, Michael vaguely resembles Andy Samberg. I feel like all the people in this movie are just different, like, police reconstructions of Andy Samberg. (laughs) I love it. I love... I want to live in a world where that's true. I really do. This is the world, because that would involve making a number of people, like, not white for no reason, and that's definitely something that could happen in police sketching. (laughs) That is... Yeah, you know, that is a very sad truth. Uh, To prevent us from going further off base, um, but actually still kind of in the same place, uh, Paramount actually made Hill cast a mix of white and people of color because they thought an all-black and Hispanic cast would have been unmarketable, which is just shocking for 1979 Paramount Pictures. I was going to say, it was a different time, I get it. But, I mean, honestly, though, I kind of like the world-building they did with that because there are gangs here that are all or mostly black there are gangs that are all or mostly white but i feel like uh in this world people get together because they're on the same street and sometimes that's all you have they talk about fighting for that little bit of turf so i kind of like that angle right and i i really do like that it is like a melting pot although i do it would have been nice to see a film from this era that would have had you know, an entirely people of color cast because it just didn't happen. Yeah, that's true. I mean, unless we're talking about like black exploitation film or something like that. Right, 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 right. But I mean, that's different, and that wouldn't play in every single theater. Yeah, I mean, it's New York. 
this is what we got here. You get what you think you're gonna bring some big ass, fat ass Chicago ass pizza in here? If they get, get fuck off with that. Get your pizza shit out of here. You get what a melting pot, where city, where cosmopolitan culture. <laughs> cosmopolitan pizza. That's what I heard. All right. <laughs> um. So the studio actually originally wanted Tony Danza to play Vermin, and Hill said, "Fuck you." <laughs> right. Hold me closer, Tony Danza. <laughs> I I love it. I'm going to hear that every time I listen to that song now. Good. You deserve it. <laughs> I, I deserve it. Jesus Christ. Hot takes with John. John's actually fucking pissed this time. You made shake him a prize with Easy Mac does. <laughs> That's what Burger King did. I'm not saying you're wrong. Well, yeah, you are wrong. Burger King wasn't wrong. You are correct, but you're still wrong. This is beginning to sound like a debate, and I don't want to do that on this podcast. Okay. Uh, like and subscribe. Let us know if you want us to do a debates-only podcast. It, it, it'll be about 30 seconds, and one of us will concede and be like, you know what, bud, you're probably right. Yeah, or we'll scream about shake up fries. Because shake up fries is definitely what this world needs. We need more shake up fries in this world. Anyway, completely, completely off top. All right, so... Actor Thomas G. Waits was cast as Fox and goes uncredited in the film. Hmm. Uh, th- there will be a lot about this as we go on. However, what started the rift between him and director Walter Hill was that uh, Walter Hill had like set up a screening of movies like Rebel Without a Cause and East of Eden so that the actors could kind of get a sense of like what he wanted from them in the film. Mm-hmm. And he offered uh, Waits a drink, and he refused, and somehow this caused a riff. Hmm, okay. And like I said, there's way, way more on this later. We'll get to it. Walter Hill originally wanted a Puerto Rican actress to play Mercy, but after Deborah Van Valkberg's uh, agent did some convincing, whatever the hell that means, Hmm. uh, she won the part. And when I say convincing... And, like, whatever the hell that means. I mean, it could be anything as innocent from, like, she took the a producer out to lunch. She, uh, or it could be as, uh, you know, uninnocent as uh, bribery and blackmailing. I don't know. Yeah, she could have given him the secret recipe for shake up fries. There, there's no secret. I found it. They well, don't see, want you to know. That's easy to do 40 years after the fact. Jesus Christ. I'd shoot me when shake up fries are a thing from 40 years ago. Anyway, so uh, Van Valkenburg uh, was worried that she wasn't well endowed enough to play the part, uh, but later on, Walter Hill told her that she was the unobvious, obvious choice. Huh, so is that just a thinly veiled, I'm forgiving you for not having big enough breasts? I, I guess so. I don't I, like that. I don't like it either, and um, I don't... Th- 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 this is why I don't like some of the CD like underbelly of filming. It's just so, it's so drama filled, and it just there's just so much weird shit, especially around this era when like they were kind of like being out in the open with how seedy and gross and sexual it was. Yeah, seventies man. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? It's the seventies. Um, and what? And lastly, for the to finish up casting, uh, Walter Hill picked David Patrick Kelly for Luther because he gave him a very Richard the Third vibe. All right, yeah, whatever that means. <laughs> exactly. Like I don't know what his criteria means. for Richard the Third is, but okay. <laughs> Go off, King. All right, so let's get into filming. Uh, the film was shot entirely at night during a grueling hot summer in 1979, and it was 
It was actually shot entirely on location in every rough neighborhood in New York City. All right, so there's a lot that needs to be talked about here, I think, and we don't have time to do all of it. Uh, first off, New York City. Okay, it's New York. Um, everything's covered in spray paint. Uh, I don't know if that was like a movie magic, like mix some frosting in with some, uh, I don't know, aerosol, and there you go. You have magic spray paint that comes off easy. Or if everything is legitimately just spray painted like that. Uh, I think everything is just legitimately spray painted like that. Probably the things that they actually spray painted in the movie they probably bought and like, you know, probably made it look like it was spray painted on before. Because I can't imagine, like, especially in like that graveyard scene, I can't imagine that they would just be allowed to do that and get away with it. Right. Right. I feel like that's like a, like a, this could have been a music video collaboration between like Bruce Springsteen and Michael Jackson, you know? Where there's just like this rough city streets and there's the whole gang thing, but it's all super cool. And then they get on the turnpike. And yeah, then they that... get on the turnpike. <laughs> they get on the turnpike. They get on that... the bridge, they pay like a $14 toll, and that's what you do when you live there. Exactly. I mean, it being someone in that area, that is all you do. If you don't get on the turnpike, you're not getting there. <laughs> Alright, so, and the shoots usually lasted from about 6pm to 6am. The cast and crew slept at a hotel in Manhattan, and when it was about time for them to get on set, they were transported by bus to the filming locations, usually in the Bronx or Brooklyn. The Bronx. The Bronx or Brooklyn. There's so many different accents in New York City. Like, they're, they all stem from, like, the same thing, except for Queens. Because then Queens has the weirdest fucking accent. But there's no one from Queens in this movie, so I'll take it. Okay, yeah. Um, you have the, the king of Queens, you know? <laughs> so he can be, like, the king over all of the individual Queens, or he can be the king of the, that part of the city known as Queens. Uh, yeah, I I guess the title works. Is that on the joke? Several levels. Is that legitimately the joke there? It, it, you call it a joke. I call it a thinly veiled attempt to give Kevin James a career. Okay, cool. I'm into <laughs> yeah. it. Uh, I I think the the accents in New York City are a lot like combos. You know, like they're all fundamentally just like <laughs> <laughs> they're all so okay. So they're all fundamentally just fucking heart attacks. No, they're all fundamentally just pretzel segments filled with trash. But some taste just like cheese. Some taste like ranch dressing. The pizza ones are the only ones that matter. Actually, I'm going to have to fight you on this. Not to derail us further, but I actually have to fight you on this. Um, the only combos worth eating are the pizza ones, the blazing blue buffaloes, and they have a new jalapeno cheddar one. Okay, um, I think the jalapeno cheddar combo is maybe more akin to, like, the growing Dominican population in New York City. <laughs> Whereas, like, the pizza ones are your classic Brooklyn. Uh, the cheese ones right. are the Italian. Uh, the ranch one is, um... Uh, I, I, I don't even know. Uh, the Irish, maybe. I don't know, but if you eat just ranch-flavored things, fuck you. Well, have you ever had ranch-flavored corn nuts? First of all, who the goddamn fuck still eats corn nuts? Do they still make corn nuts? Yes. Fuck you. <laughs> this is probably the most hostile episode and it all has to do with snacks. <laughs> Dude, fuck ranch flavored shit. Like, honestly, like, it doesn't taste like ranch. It just tastes like garbage. Like, it tastes like hot, sweaty, like, salty garbage. And people just eat it up and I can't stand it. See? This we're full circle now. Combos are like New York City accents. 
You know what? I, I don't think a more apt comparison has been made. Congratulations. Expert. You you just you just solved New York City. There we go. Let's uh let, let's have let's wrap it up. Let's take it down and let's uh, move on to the next project. All right. Um the next project for the film was actually the rally and riot scene which was shot over 3 nights. So, the actor originally cast to play Cyrus was a real life gang member. Casting thought it would be a good a good move uh, for the movie and give the film some realism. Uh, but a few days before the shoot, he was nowhere to be found. Uh, as real life gang members are wont to do. Yeah, like they unfortunately they think he probably got killed. So, oh, nice. That well not nice, but you know, interesting. All right. So casting quickly found Roger Hill, um, and he does a great job in the movie. Um, I, it's very inspiring speech. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, and uh, apparently, like it really, really got everybody in that scene like riled up. Like apparently, it was a you had to have been there type thing. I like that. I, I like that this has that type of lore around the making of it. Oh yeah, there, there's a lot actually. There, there were like three different documentaries I watched for this, which was interesting. I, I. I haven't ran into that with one of these cult films we've done yet. Mm -hmm. Kind of like what we wanted to get out of Rocky Horror and just it wasn't there. Yeah, like th there's info on Rocky Horror, but like not nearly enough. It was like a, it was a musical. They made it into a movie and now people do weird shit with it. That's the story of Rocky Horror. Nice. Just like fries and, you know, the weird shit with it is putting mac and cheese dust on it. Listen, I'm not as big of an asshole for doing that as the wing place down the street from me when I lived in Lawrenceville, Georgia. They had mac and cheese, like, chicken nugget boneless wings things. So it okay. was just chicken nuggets covered in mac and cheese dust. That is a hate crime. <laughs> you, sh you can't do that to chicken. That, that is a hate crime against chicken. You can't do that to mac and cheese dust. It's truly just an abomination. Now we're unified, John. Yes. <laughs> Welcome to the cause. Yes. We, uh, the, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. <laughs> Here we are. Here we are. Um, so, the scene where Cyrus falls off of the balcony was actually done by the stunt coordinator because none of the other stunt people wanted to do it. <laughs> oh, interesting. I wonder why. Yeah, because it was dangerous as shit. Yeah, and just falling through all those wooden platforms kind of sounds like a lose-lose. Yeah, they definitely should have got, like... I think if they would have had the budget for it, they would have used a dummy, but they didn't, so they had to use a real person. They could have uh, just pulled a trauma and just put, like, a bunch of brooms together and then put a wig on a watermelon and just thrown it over the side and then it explodes. Listen, this is Paramount. Yeah, <laughs> they, it's Paramount. All right. <laughs> <laughs> That's why that didn't happen. Uh, and luckily he got away with it with only some minor back injuries that he doesn't feel anymore today. Uh, doesn't feel anymore because they're healed or doesn't feel anymore because he doesn't feel anything in his back anymore? I did, that is up for interpretation. <laughs> You'd have to ask him. He, he said he's fine. But then again, when he, they talked to him, it was on a uh, Paramount-funded documentary, so I don't know. <laughs> ah. Reliable. Um, reliable. Alright, so there were about a thousand extras in that scene, even though they say 60,000 yeah. in the movie. Um, and some of them were actual real-life gang members from New York City, again, lending to the realism. Nice. And the riot scene was achieved by setting the young men up in lines. So there were four lines going. The first line ran clockwise. Mm -hmm. The second group ran counterclockwise. And then the one behind them went clockwise, and the one behind them went counterclockwise. And this was, like, 
their way of getting like these guys that have never acted before like you're not really gonna see their faces we just need to see bodies moving uh-huh so this way all those kids had to worry about was following the guy in front of them it's kind of like when they do the filmings of The Walking Dead, and, like, the guys in the front row are, like, actual full makeup professional actors that are zombies. But when you get toward the back, it's truly just some dude from, like, Kennesaw in a mask, and they're just like, just walk funny. Exactly. It's, um, you can just win a chance to be a zombie on The Walking Dead. Actually, now, now you can't. That's actually a union gig now. Well, I'm sure. They've been doing it for, like, 12 years. Right, right, right. I mean, I think it's been a union gig for a while now because, like, people that actually do... Like, like there are people who specifically just act as, like, monsters, like zombies or, like, demons or something like that. Like, they know how... They can come in makeup before they even get there. They know how to do the makeup themselves. Uh, so yeah, it was a big union issue that The Walking Dead was not hiring those people. Yeah, I see it. Yeah, anyway, that's not this movie. No. <laughs> After about eight weeks into principal photography, the tension between uh, Waits and Hill reached a breaking point. Hill, Hill demanded that stunt coordinator Craig Baxley um, improvise a stunt in which Waits' character would be killed. Stunned, Baxley demurred. Uh, such a critical scene would take careful planning, but Hill was insistent. I don't give a shit how you kill him, Baxley recalls the director saying kill him. Baxley found a crew member who resembled Waits and staged a scene in which the character is thrown off a subway platform in front of an approaching train. It was like someone cut my soul out and left it a shell, Waits remembers. He would later demand that his name be removed from the cast altogether and he remains uncredited in the film to this day. Alright, so this is where he's fighting with the cop on the subway platform and mm -hmm. he gets rolled off in front of the train. Yeah, so uh, Hill just wanted him off the film that badly. Like, the rift was just that harsh. I, you know what? It's better than just legit shooting him. Exactly. <laughs> like, he was just gonna pull a real gun out in real life, shoot him in real life. Hey, they're, tr they're trying to be immersive. They're trying to do it the right way. They're on location in New York City. It's, it's violent. Uh, there's tons of gang activity going on. He's like, hey, roll camera. <laughs> there you go. It's done. That is called a snuff film, and that is very illegal. No, you just have to get Tom Waits to quote-unquote stay underground on contract and then emerge later on in the courtroom to prove that he is alive. This is not Tom Waits, by the way. Same shit. <laughs> no. No, You're I was talking get... about getting actual Tom Waits to come in for this Thomas Waits. Oh, Okay. It's like, you killed Tom Waits. No, Tom Waits is right here. What kind of airplane level bullshit is this? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let, let, let's cut to the chase here. So the film was released in 670 theaters with little to no advertising. And with no surprises, on the first weekend of release, there were three instances of violence and one death linked to screenings of the film in southern L.A. Uh, not shocked. I really think they should have just done like a viral marketing thing where they get a billboard, don't put anything on it, just get some guy with spray paint to go put Warriors on the blank billboard. See? <laughs> there you go. Viral marketing. Uh, you, you, you come from the, uh, the Blair Witch Project school of uh, marketing, don't you? I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means chasing people around in the woods until they agree to buy your shit or not, but I'm into that too. I... <laughs> We have to move on. I want to fight you, but I have to move on. Um, so, Walter Hill had this to say about the screenings. I think the reason why there were some violent incidents is really very simple. 
The movie was very popular with the street gangs, especially young men, a lot of whom had very strong feelings about each other, and suddenly they all went to the movies together. They looked across the aisle, and there were the guys they don't like. So, so there were a lot of incidents, and also, the movie itself is rambunctious. I would certainly say that. <clears throat> Alright, so I think up to the point where you said, uh, and also the movie itself is rambunctious, the next logical step was they leaned across and just started fucking eating face. And just started making out. <laughs> the movie just made them want to fuck like animals. That's yeah. where Nine Inch Nails got the idea for the song, Fuck You Like an Animal. Perfect. You know what? I'm going to do a rereading of this with the proper ending, like the cinematically appropriate ending. <clears throat> so here we go. Here we go. I think the reasons why there was some violent incidents is very, very simple. The movie was very popular with street gangs, especially young men, a lot of whom had very strong feelings about each other. And suddenly they all went to the movies together. They looked across the aisles and there was the guys they didn't like. So there were a lot of incidents young men leaning across just suck face <laughs> oh god i i mean i wish that that was what it happened but it ended in a lot of deaths make or love death. not war don't forget to wear a condom it's the 70s <laughs> please dear god it's the 70s wear a condom um <laughs> Oh god, the only other times in his the one of the best times in history to wear a condom other than the prehistoric period. You know what? I don't like that. I'm just going to go on the record as saying I don't like that. Dude, I'm just saying don't fuck a dinosaur unless you're strapped up. This is some weird deep internet shit that I don't want to think about. Hey man, me and the other time travelers know what's up. Uh brontosaurus is uh, you know they don't like the meat but they like the taste. I don't want to think about that anymore. <laughs> Alright, so the studio, of course, after all this happened, pulled all television and radio advertisements into the film, and uh, 200 theaters pulled out of the screening. So now they're down to about 400 and no advertising. Ah. But, you know, things kind of calmed down, and after about three weeks of no instances, the studio started to advertise the film again, and this time... With all the controversy, it actually seemed to be turning a profit. Oh, okay, so there it is. I was wondering when this is going to happen, because this seems like a natural next step. Oh, yeah, and then a lot of critics started calling it, like, things like a filmmaker's movie and visual rock and roll. So, you know, like, it started to get some good press, and it started to, like, you know, the train's going. They, they might actually make their money back on this shit show. Right. And then, by the sixth week of release, the film had garnered a box office return of $16.4 million. I like it. Uh, I like that it worked out for them. I like how the uh, the controversy surrounding the film kind of helped it flourish a little bit. There's a little bit of a, a secondary flash of energy there. Uh, it's kind of akin, again, to make an early 2000s reference, is when people found out, quote-unquote, found out that, uh, like, uh, what's his name? Marilyn Manson could, like, suck his own dick, and then it become way more popular. Exactly, even though that's not true, and you can't just remove your bottom fucking rib cage. It doesn't work like that. Don't do it. But for marketing purposes, it was very, very profitable. <laughs> Marilyn Manson has never, um, you know, said anything about that because he's like, it's stupid and I'm not going to say that. But you know what? He's also not denying it. Yep. <laughs> so That's true. See? Marketing achieved. Whisper marketing. campaigns. <laughs> you know what? Disney, hire us. We know how to get your viral marketing campaigns off the ground. <laughs> We're just going to start talking about how much Mickey Mouse likes to fuck people. <laughs> He's a mouse. That's what they do best. They, they shit. 
They and shit they and they reverse. fuck. Yeah. And then they fuck and then they shit. And then they shit while fucking. That's a blumpkin. Anyway. <laughs> I can't confirm or deny that rodents actually do that. <laughs> hey, man. It's a weird world out there. It's a wild, wild, crazy world, sports fans. This anyway. is probably the most vulgar episode so far. Just, yeah, well, just throwing I'll that put, out there. I'll put two explicit sides on there. Nice. It'll be okay. All nice. right. So um, let's talk about a little about the legacy, the impact, and how this film got its cult status. Yay! Yay! All right. So the film has been a bit more lauded over the years, with modern critics calling the film too stylized and the dialogue stilted. Uh, I have to agree a little bit, just from, like, a critical standpoint, but you know what? Fuck them. It's fun. It's the 70s. It's the Sith. Um, anyway, so the film the film has kind of gained a cult following, and such has caused critics to re-examine it, like, mo- more recently. And the film actually sits at an 89% on Rotten Tomatoes today. Nice. That's uh, a lot more than The Joker with Joaquin Phoenix. Is it? I thought that movie got, like, a lot of praise. That movie is currently rated lower than The Toxic Avengers. That is nuts. Yes. I don't know. Like, I didn't hate that movie, but I didn't think it was great. I think it was a little too derivative, but anyway. Are you talking about Joker or Toxic Avengers? Oh, Joker. All right, as derivative as a Batman movie can be without just being what it was meant to be from the beginning. Oh, no. Joker is very derivative of, like, Taxi Driver and uh, The Greatest Comedian, I think is what it's called. They're both Martin Scorsese films. Mm, so he does one thing right, and that thing is uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Ew. Anyway, can you imagine being fucked by those eyebrows? Anyway. I can't. Um, I won't. Uh, we're not talking about this again. <laughs> Alright, so the cult following started as most other cult films start on the home video market in the mid-1980s. So, like, this kind of quickly became, like, a midnight movie staple. Like, you know, if you like things like the Toxic Avenger or things like that, you're probably going to like the Warriors. Like, it, I could it, agree. It just kind of lends itself to that, like, demographic, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, um, it, you know, it's just been going and going and going for years. There's been several, like, home video re-releases. However, 2005 was a very big year for this movie for two reasons. Um, one, a video game based on the movie came out made by Rockstar, the people uh, mostly responsible for Red Dead Redemption, Red Dead Redemption 2, and uh, all the Grand Theft Auto games. It seems like a natural next step, I think. Oh, yeah. Th- and this was actually a pretty fun game. This is actually how I found out about the movie was by uh, renting the game from Blockbuster and then being like, oh, there's a movie of this. I need to watch it. And then I found out the movie came first. Nice. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah, so um, it kind of reminds me of uh, really the only experience I have with this movie is like the, the my brain is just edit point. The cover photo, like the mm-hmm. poster for the film. I've seen it many, many times before. And it also reminded me of those little quarter machine things where you turn them and get a prize. There was one that I remember in particular called Homies, which is yes. literally just little plastic figurines that look like these guys. I completely agree. You know about homies? I I remember homies. Uh, As a matter of fact, I think the Kroger that was over by, that was like in between both of our houses, Mm -hmm. I think that that Kroger had a homies machine until probably about 2015. Really? I I really think so. Like, because I remember it was still there like my junior year of high school. I wish that I had known about that because I think I ended up with one or two of those somehow back in like 2005 or 2006. I think you did. I think you did because didn't we involve them in our claymation somehow? 
I think we did. I, I don't know. This is like deep lore. This is like deep tracks if you want to get into like our early content. Uh, yeah, we've technically been making content since like 2004 or 5. Yeah, way too early. That was 15 years ago. Jesus Christ, let's not think about that. Well, right. I'm glad we didn't have a kid that year. <laughs> that kid would be a pain in the ass right now. Oh yeah, we'd be stuck in the house with them worried that they're gonna fucking murder us. Yay! <laughs> Yay! Get me off this snurf, snail earth. Anyway. Stop. Um, <laughs> that sounds too much like snarf from Too Many Cooks. Too many cooks. If you haven't seen too many cooks, check that shit out. Um, anyway, to wrap this all up, I, like I said, 2005 was a big year for this movie, and the main reason it was a big deal was the director's cut finally came out. Ooh. And it was marketed as the ultimate director's cut, and, uh, you know, the it had, you know, a lot of upscaling, so it's now a 2K uh, film restoration. They upped the the sound of a 5.1 Dolby mix, you know, whatever. Like, those are, like, the the things that they have to do to in order to warrant a re-release. But what made this the director's cut was they finally went back and spliced in some comic book visuals into the movie and uh, kind of more closely brought back the Anubis connections. I see. That Walter Hill wanted to do originally, and uh, the movie is uh, no better or no worse for it, in my opinion. Interesting. So when you say comic book visuals, you mean this is like a graphic novel, like, frame that gets put into it, or is it just kind of like The Watchmen, where it kind of resembles a comic book and then they fuck? Uh, no, no, no. This is like, there's comic book visuals, and like, it'll go to a panel, and then, like, it'll dissolve into the real life scene. Kind of like, uh, have you ever seen Creepshow? Uh, yes. Very similar to Creepshow. Okay, okay. Yeah, so it's it's exact it's exactly like that. Actually, you know what? That's probably where they got the idea to do it, or where most things get their inspiration to do like that kind of thing if they want to make it a comic book thing. Anyway, so um, this is now the actual only version still in print on a uh, DVD and Blu-ray. The original theatrical cut has uh, never been released on Blu-ray. It is only the ultimate director's cut. Oh, well, that kind of sucks. It does suck. And it's weird because the original theatrical cut is actually only available on digital uh, to be bought or rented. Or if you're lucky like me, um, I bought a edition of this Blu-ray that came with not only just the ultimate director's cut on Blu-ray, but they actually included a DVD of the theatrical cut. Oh, well, that's fun. Yeah, so for whatever reason, licensing reasons, uh, this company could not put it on the Blu-ray, but they could put it on the DVD. Don't know why. It's there. I have it. <laughs> oh, that's cool. It's there. That's what counts. It, it is indeed what counts. And uh, that's going to close the book on The Warriors. Do you, do you feel any better or worse about the film now, John? Um, I think the film is fine. I think it's pretty good. Give it a watch. Um, what is it? Uh, Joe Bob Briggs, four stars. Check it out. <laughs> I I couldn't agree more. Oh, so do you have anything else to add, John? Before we uh before we wrap up this episode? Uh yeah, Tom Waits, stay the fuck away from my shake 'em up fries. Um, <laughs> that's that's a that's about it. Just that, looking for you, Tom Waits. I don't know where you are. I don't know if you're alive or not. But if you are, stay away from my shake 'em up fries. I heard if you just make an ego face at him and throw some slightly used panties, uh, he will he will go away. All right, we, we need to not talk about... We do need to talk about this. Okay, so that's a thing on the internet where you can buy people's under 
garments. We'll, we'll, yeah, okay, you can do that in Japan from a vending machine. Yeah, Japan is just so much out... There, there's so much more, like, it seems to me... I don't want to be xenophobic and say that they are, but it seems to me that they're a little bit more outward about some of, like, the weird fetishes they have. I mean, they're honest to the point of putting it inside of a vending machine. Right, at the same place that you can buy a Coke or a uh, bag of grasshoppers to eat. Or an actual prostitute, because you can do that as well. Really? Yes, there are some places in Japan, or at least there used to be, where you could go to a vending machine and you could, uh, I don't know if it was a credit card thing or what, it would have had to have been, I don't know. And you literally just take what you want and the front of the boat opens up like a door and out comes a sex worker. I... I, I'm going to have to look this up. I, I, I honestly don't believe this. It sounds like some Futurama shit. I have talked to a person who can confirm saw it happen. I don't know if that makes it real or not, but in my mind, that makes it real enough to be scared. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to look this up immediately as soon as we, as soon as we end this episode. So let's do that now. Uh, so, for four year information, I'm Zach and I'm John. See a new movie this week, guys. I'm gonna go look up if this sex worker thing is real. Bye.